So thank you for that warm thunderous applause. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, forgot to turn the cord on. Anyway, um, the premise of this, and, and I, I, I use this verbiage in the description, so forgive me for those who aren't reading it on the uh, recording. Um, it occurs to me that Jesus' chosen method of communicating in public involves storytelling. And yet somehow the church has developed now in our day to the point where there is no storytelling, at least in terms of music, or there's not very much of it anymore. Um, I think it's wonderful that music and worship music as a genre has kind of become the big deal, but it's almost like it's been to the exclusion of other, other kinds of communication, other kinds of music. And I, I don't think that should be the case. I'm, I'm one of those guys who thinks, and, and people, there are people of faith who will disagree on this matter, but I, I think a Christian artist has the broadest mandate and the most permission. Um, obviously, uh, there are some constraints, you know, uh, but uh, uh, conduct and so forth like that. So, um, but I believe you should be writing about everything that you possibly can. And, and also the, the thing that I've always enjoyed about songwriting is songwriters that gave me a place to find myself in the song. They didn't reach over and cut up the food on my plate. They didn't pre-digest the thing. And they didn't point at me while they were singing to me. Um, they let me, I have a stake in the listening of the song. And that's why I can listen to songs that I literally have listened to for 40 or 50 years. And I still get something out of them because there's, there's a place for me there. The, the writer has specifically done that. One of the things about, even, even if you're a, a, a songwriter that writes congregational songs, I think that you can take some inspiration and tear a page from the singer-songwriter playbook because of the way that these songs are crafted and the way that they tell stories. Um, so I, um, yeah, I've been a musician my whole life. I played, I started playing guitar 58 years ago when I was 10 years old. Um, I've had a guitar in my hand my whole life. Um, but before that, and still, I am a listener. Being an attentive and careful listener is one of the biggest joys in life, is to hear great music and to be able to appreciate it and, and hear what's going on. And uh, so now, not all these songs are going to be your cup of music. You're no, under no obligation to, like, if you don't, if you listen to a song, you go, I'm not getting it. it there's, there's nothing wrong with you. It's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Um, you know, this is not, this is not why I chose some of these material, but, um, I'm going to start, I, I wrestled with whether I should start with this or end with this. And I think I'm going to, um, oh gosh, I think I have the, oh no, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the song. So, okay, I'll start with something else. This is, uh, this is a song. Oh, the other thing. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Uh, a lot of times when you're, when you're telling a story in a song, the more specific you are, 
the irony is the more specific you are, the more universal the application. Because a detailed story automatically triggers people's reaction to that story and it puts you in touch with your own story. It's completely counterintuitive, but it works. If I write a, a stupid little song about how I have a green manual toothbrush and I like Crest, well, you go, no, I've got an electric one and I like Tom's. Uh, it, you almost, it's almost like an involuntary reaction as we listen. And so, you know, as I listen to these very specific stories, it, it, it awakens and, and connects with something inside of me. And it also gives me that empathy for the, the characters. I, some of these songs, I love these characters. I just love them. I wish I could meet them. <laughs> you know, I meet them in the song, but I mean, they're, it's that, they're that well drawn. So this is a song called Saving the Best for Last, which I'd like to play for you. And uh, let me put up the words. I hope you can see them. I didn't, I'm not smart enough to do PowerPoint or that. Can you kind of see those on the screen? Yeah. Okay, good. So we'll start with this and, and uh, feel free to talk, raise your hand, interrupt, do whatever it takes. There's, there's no, I'm not, I'm not a clinician. I'm just a musician with an enthusiasm. So, <laughs> so let me get this set up. Got into a cab in New York City. There's an Oriental man behind the wheel. Started talking about heaven like it was real, real. Say they got mansions in heaven. Yeah, the angels are building one for me right now. And I know they're saving the best for last. Look around this town and tell me that it ain't so. They're saving the best. See? 
just it's just a singular story I mean to me it's unforgettable um, so that's one thing <laughs> um, this next one is um, I was uh, touring with a couple friends of mine a couple Canadian artists uh, who I highly recommend if you haven't heard of them a fellow named Steve Bell and also Carolyn Ahrens A-R-E-N-D-S and um, I was doing a, a concert tour, and we were doing In the Round, sitting all on stage at the same time, uh, trading songs back and forth. And Steve started telling a story about his grandmother, the, the last time he saw his grandmother before she passed away. And he went and visited with his grandma, and he asked her, you know, Grandma, how are you spending your time? And she said, I'm, um, I'm getting ready for glory. And immediately Carolyn said, can I borrow your grandma and write this song? And so she did. And so eventually Steve did a, a, an album with his daughter, Sarah, and uh, did this a song called Getting Ready for Do Glory, which I just think is a, a thing of beauty. So let me play that for you. Most of them good, but she's not gonna 
Isn't that a cool song? And in the old parlance, Christians used to talk about not only living a good life, but dying a good death. How many songs have you heard that even touch upon that subject in our congregations? They're not there. And um, I'm not suggesting that we write a whole passel of death songs, but I am suggesting <laughs> that, that it's okay for us to broaden and, and you know, think about these things. Um, okay, I'm, I might play you about three or four songs by one guy who I just think is... Pierce Pettis is a friend of mine, fortunately, and uh, uh, I'm fortunate to know him. And I have told people, if, if I had to... If I had to take all of the songs that I've ever written and bundle them up in a package and trade them straight across for another guy's entire catalog, he's the guy that I would switch with. He's just one of the most creative writers I've ever run across. And um, so this is a, a, a song of his called Lions of Coliseum. Let me see what you think of this. Upon this rock, let us build our church So the lions of the Colosseum And as the Christians wander in We can lock the doors and eat them Drink the blood of the saints Roll the poor for pocket change Then on our knees we will give thanks To the lions of the Colosseum
well, check it out. Yeah, he, he's, that's one of those things where you do, yeah. And, and the lions change identity throughout each of the verses. So it's just such a masterful thing. So I don't know if it was intentional, but it felt like he was referring to like the bodies of individual Christians to like the church body. Like that's right, where he talks about the... Just like in the Colosseum, that the bodies are torn in a thousand different ways, like the lions of the Colosseum. Yes, that's exactly right. I know, cool, huh? <laughs> um, let me play you a couple other things from him because he's just so great. Um, I forget if Sarah Groves did a version of this or not. I don't know. I think she did, you did that for me. But. Um, this is called God Believes in You. When you start to doubt if you exist, God believes in you. Confounded by the evidence, God believes in you. When your light burns so dim, when your chances seem so slim And you swear you don't believe in Him God believes in you When you rise up just to fall again God believes in you Deserted by your closest friends God believes in you definitely kind of singer-songwriter boy. Uh, occasionally, I will pinch hit and lead worship. And, um, you know, back when I was coming up, one guy and one guitar was kind of the coin of the realm. And so every once in a while, I will get up to lead worship in those situations. And, um, and this song really works well on a call and response. Everybody begins to get the rhythm of the song and the God believes in you as the answer. And it um, sounds almost kind of liturgical, if you will. Um, I, 
want to play you uh, a song that is uh, uh, absolutely unrelated to anything we've heard. There's a wonderful songwriter named Jonathan Brooke. I don't know if you know her, but she was in a duo in the 90s called The Story. Uh, Jonathan Brooke and Jennifer Kimball. And this is a song called The Angel in the House. Now, I had no idea any of the background of this song when I first heard it. Um, But as it turns out, The Angel in the House is a Victorian poem that was written that was kind of talking about the role of the woman as wife and mother and submissive to the husband and all this kind of stuff. And it was a very wildly popular poem in its day. And then Gertrude Stein came along and said, you know, this is complete nonsense. This person irritates me. And referring to the woman as the angel of the house, but Gertrude Stein said, but I cannot kill the angel in the house. Now, I'd never heard any of this when I heard the song. When I heard Angel in the House, what I heard was a a family dynamic that hangs over a family and a household, generationally speaking. One One of the reasons I'm so grateful for this song is, have you ever gone into a one of those stores that has little jokes and novelties and things? And there's like a little 100-page booklet that says everything that men know about women, and you open up the pages, and the pages are all blank. You ever seen that? Well, this song did me the favor of telling me something as a card-carrying man that I never would have known unless she told it to me. And so I'm always grateful for this, and this song absolutely kills me. So if you see me getting, I'm a weeper. My kids, when I get together with all three of my kids, I'm so happy to have them all in the same room. There's actually like a little betting pool as to how long it's going to take me to fall apart. So I just want you to know. (laughs) So this is the story, and the song is called The Angel in the House. It's, It's the beautiful thing.
Now, one of the reasons I value that song is that every one of you has a story. You have things that, it's not that you're, there are songs that I, I, I was having lunch one time with a friend of mine who's a filmmaker, and I said, how do you kind of deal with disappointment, career disappointment, things don't go like you want them to, or whatever. And he said, you know, I went to film school, I graduated film school the same year as a friend of mine, and my friend, the first thing he did is he worked on Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List movie. That was the first thing he did out of school. That was not my path. He said, I don't worry about all the stuff that I can't do. I worry about what's not going to get done unless I do it. So I have a little folder on my Mac at home songs that only I can write, not because I'm the only smart guy or I'm the only, you know, any magical weirdness like that, but there are certain things that I know that only I can tell. And so one of the things that I, I worry about as I'm in the final innings of my game here is I, I want artists in the church to not be afraid to tell their stories and to not be afraid to put, because... That's how we feel less alone in what we're doing. We also feel like we're engaged in something that matters. And the whole notion of already we're involved in an operation where congregation is important, not just because there's safety in numbers, but because being in close proximity to other people is an incarnation of the way that we say that we believe. And the gospel makes the most sense when it's humanized, when it's when it's got people involved. It's not just a, a nice theory or a thing that we hope for. Um, so um, uh, let me play this for you, see what you think of this. Any, any comments or anything? I, are you ready to slit your wrist later or anything? Are, are they the song? <laughs> um, I mean, yes. you, a, you said something, I guess this is more broad about songwriting, um, but, um, I mean, you said this seems like there's some contradiction in theory. Like you're like the more specific you get, the more like broad it is. I mean, broad the acceptance or mm -hmm. relatability, but also um, you said like song good songwriters don't cut up the food for you, so you understand everything necessarily. But, like, well, what I mean to say is uh, that's a good point, and I know that that does seem to be kind of contradictory. What I mean, what I mean by reaching up reaching over and cutting the food on the plate is that you need, you always need to assume that your audience, it's a low threshold for me, but I always assume my audience is at least as smart as I am. So they, I don't, they don't need me to tell them anything. They don't need me to, you know, the dictum in Nashville and all that, when you go to write songs is kiss, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Now there's a crucial difference between simple and simplistic. Simplistic is we don't need this, but making something simple and understandable takes some real doing. So that's what I mean is, is, is to, um, is to give the listener credit for being able to get what you're trying to say. Now, here's the other thing in, in worship songs, you've got, not only do you have the value of repetition, sometimes within the song itself, but you have the value of repeated uh, 
uh, times when the, the song is sung and, and the congregation sings it. In singer-songwriter world, especially if you're in front of a live audience, you have three and a half to four minutes and one shot to deliver what you're trying to say because people don't have the lyric sheet on the screen behind them. And unless they really like you and go seek you out on Spotify, which is my prayers are always crossed that someone does that, but I may only have the four minutes that I've got them in the room to sing the song. So you have, to, so it, does that, does that seem a little less contradictory? Yeah. Yeah. I just, um, I mean like, song we just listened to is absolutely beautiful but i'm still kind of like trying to you know i don't know just maybe it's just just me i'm trying to i'm still trying to understand like what like i like it's like there's like heartbreak involved like you know in that story that she's telling about her you know like her husband i'm I'm assuming you know that but but i'm still kind of like the angel in the house like i'm just like what is the angel in the house you know what i mean so i'm wondering if that mystery is like intentional or like you know yeah i mean you well i i'm not any smart genius but i sort of got close in listening to the song and realizing that angel of the house was the the family dynamic the the hovering if you will the covering over a house where where people everybody kind of plays their roles and things play themselves out and then you're trying to break that chain um you know god love them uh a, a sacred work therapist's office are full of people that are trying to break the chain of various things that have gone on in their families or things that 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 either have been done to them or the old hurt people hurt people things that you've done to hurt other people are constantly trying to break that chain so when she says i cannot kill the angel in the house she's you know basically saying as much as i'd like to think i'm independent of all this i'm not i i am my i am my mother's daughter so it's odd because I'm thinking angel seems like a positive thing, like you know, like well, the thing the like thing that's like, not told in the song, and it gets a little richer when you realize what the angel in the house comes from in terms yeah. of the poem and the reference to the Victorian wife and all that. But I think she did a good enough job that it kind of it, I think it exists on its own two feet. Aside from that, I stumbled upon that. I had no idea. I listened to the song for years until I scoped that out and went, ah. Oh. That's what she's after. So, um, all right. This is a this is a song by a couple of good friends of mine, and uh, I recorded a version, but I'm going to play you theirs because I think it's far superior. You know what? This is, wait a minute. This is my version. Sorry. I don't have his version on here. Okay. This, this is a version that I did with my friend, John Stanford. Forgive me. I clerical error, but I played for you anyway. <coughs> so this is me singing and another guy playing guitar. Let's be thankful boys and girls Eyes and ears and toes, puppies with wet noses. Let us be thankful, boys and girls, for lessons we have learned, for love we have not earned. Follow the beat of amazing grace. Oh, let us be thankful, boys and girls. 
Isn't that a sweet song? Wait a minute. Not again. <laughs> we don't need it twice. Uh, okay, I'm going to play per one of the a couple oddest things I'm going to play you. Um, Donald Fagan is half of the uh, legendary Yacht Rock. It's called Yacht Rock now. Oh, yeah. you call it Yacht Rock? No, I, I wouldn't, but I know a lot of people who do, because just because it came from the maligned 70s. Uh, Steely Dan. Uh, this is from his first solo album called The Nightfly. And all I want you to do is just appreciate how 
much he gives the character free reign to like say what needs to be said in the song. This song is really good at it. The other one that I have, I don't know if I'll play it. The guy who's really good at this is Randy Newman. Randy Newman is, is the guy who writes all those great movie soundtracks, Toy Story and all that stuff. But yet he also has a large body of work. And he always allows his characters to be as eclectic, unsavory, whatever they need to be in order to be true to the song. He's completely fearless about this. So the Nightfly, I think, is so interesting. And I'll tell you a little bit after we listen to it of why, why, I, why I think it's such a masterful lyric. Plus, it's just got a. This is one of, by the way, this is one of the first albums to be totally digitally recorded back in the late '80s. Commonplace now, but when I was growing up, it was all analog. I have a garage full of like two-inch analog reels of my albums. You know, this is what we did back in the day. So this is one of the very first albums to be completely digitally recorded, and the groove, the musicians and stuff. It's like get out of town.
So that that's pretty much the the sum total of that. What what you what's fun to think about <laughs> is at first he introduces himself, right? He you know I'm, I'm he, he tells you the city he's in. He tells you he's on a talk station. Talk stations use a delay in case anyone decides to you know speak French. Um, he reacts to one of the calls, one of the crazy calls he gets. Then he does a station ID, which you have to do in radio at least every hour. So the station ID is in there. Um, he talks a little bit more. Now, you know what's coming. He goes, I, he goes, I've got everything. I've got my cigarettes. I've got my coffee. I've got my music. I'm in control. I'm the guy. But I wish I had a heart like ice. Then he pauses that thought and does a commercial. For Patton's Kiss and Tell, you must spring for that little blue jar. He's 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 doing a spoken word radio advertisement for like cold cream or something. Right in the middle of the freaking song. Another station ID, right? Then he comes across with the punchline of his personal life. You're still on my mind. I can't, I don't know what happened, but here it is. I'm still thinking about you. And that's the end of the song. So... I mean, if you look at all the elements that he worked into one lyric, it's like, that's so good. It's such a great, it's like a little movie. It's like a little movie right in a song. Um, all right, any, any comments or questions or am I, are you kind of, I, what I don't want you to do is walk out here and go, well, that's an hour and a half of my life I'll never get back. Is this helpful at all just in terms of listening to this work and, and, and being inspired that, you know, you can, you can do this. You can do, you need to do this, you know, not necessarily this way. You might, you won't be singing the night flight offertory. I, I understand that, but, but the songs need to be written. And um, let me play this. This is a wonderful song uh, performed by Steve Bell, but it's written by a guy named Jim Kroger called Here Above the Water. song quite a bit.
So I'm very, did you like that? It's not a great song. Okay, so this next one is by a writer named David Wilcox, who is just one of the most creative songwriters I know. Um, it was kind of fun when I, I, when I first heard his second album, um, I was driving down the road this long time ago, no cell phones, no nothing. And I hear it on the radio and I pull over to a phone booth and I call the radio station. I go, who is this guy? What? <laughs> I got to know who this is. So I go to the, the store and I special order his CD. They didn't even have it in stock. And I just fell in love with his music. But a year later, I'm in Nashville for a conference and I'm at the Bluebird Cafe and David Wilcox is in concert. And so I see the entire concert and afterwards I walk up to him and I say, hi, Dave, my name is Bob Bennett. I'm a musician and I just, I just want you to know I just love your music. He runs over, grabs his guitar, starts playing one of my songs. He'd heard my album from a guy in Florida. So we became friends. And uh, so this is called That's What the Lonely is For. And um, let's see what you think of this.
It's such a creative take on the whole issue. I think one thing that I'm inspired by is that um, the last two songs hit me harder than like the angel in the house, but the angel in the house hit you really hard uh-huh. or hits you really hard. And so I think that's really inspiring to know that we all have something to say and it's not going to hit everybody, but it's important for someone and it's an important story to tell. Yes. It th- yeah, it, um, I, one time I had a pastor friend of mine and said, I want you to come on a Sunday morning and I want you, I don't want you to bring your guitar. I want you to preach the sermon. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of a storyteller and I talk between my songs and stuff. And so I'd be able to get this done. So I wrote out a bunch of notes and I delivered the most ADD all over the place. (laughs) You know, I mean, I could hardly, you know, I delivered a sermon. It was, it's a lot harder than it looks when you're not experienced at it. And he was the nicest guy in the world. He said something, he goes, even though you feel like the whole thing was scattershot, what has has a tendency to happen with a crowd of people is that they won't latch on to everything sequentially all the way through, but they'll but they'll find certain parts throughout that they that they relate to. So he was very kind to sort of redeem my amateurish attempt at doing this by saying just what you're saying you know that that um i mean i I know throughout the course of an evening when i play a concert people are going to like some songs and maybe they're going to like other songs less you know it's not going to be one straight line of i like everything he does you know so thank you um let me play I gotta play this for you. This this kills me. It's Pierce again. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't imagine a more loving a loving song to a son than this one. Ooh, boy. He's a son of mine. I love him for his wicked grin and the mischief in his eyes. He would not harm a soul. No, he would not hurt a fly. It's just beyond his control to walk a straight line. He's a black sheep boy.
I'm startled by the silence The minute that he's gone I pray for his protection Leave the porch light on For my black sheep boy a sweet song and what's wonderful about it is he knows he knows what he's talking about because he knows it's 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 i mean i know pierce it's 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 he the reason he's able to recognize all his things these things is because he is also that boy so that's how he's able to to summon the compassion and the identity and all that to know what he's singing about is because he knows what it feels like to be that boy himself. And um, so what am I saying here? Um, I want... I want to, I want it, I, I, th I want the songs that we write to have this kind of power, to have this kind of, of, of narrative. Now, that's a tricky thing, of course, when you're, you, you can't have the congregation singing Black Sheep Boy. Mm -hmm. But I want to, I want, you know, we, everybody's binging Netflix. Story is still king. I mean, I, the one thing that has remained constant throughout my whole life with all the changes that are going on are that people still value story. They, they stream things. They still go into movie theaters. They still listen to audio books. They still, even, they still even read old school books sometimes. Story is still the coin of the realm. And I just don't want to see us as the Christian church forfeit that game, like not even show up to the stadium to play. And it's not so much a question of making stories so that we can hook people into getting saved. I mean, obviously, when I share a song, if something of eternal consequence takes place, I'm the happiest man in town. I feel like I got the privilege of, of making soundtrack music for a movie that I'm not, you know, directing. But I kind of come from the shoot first and ask questions later school of songwriting. Rather than say, you know, I need to write a song that really lays it on the line to tell people what I want them to know about this. Um, whenever I feel the need to write anything that, you know, remember the old cliche of, you know, when you point your finger, you got three more pointing back at you. Whenever I feel the need to, 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 to tell anybody anything, I always turn it back on myself. I always, I always write an I at that moment so that people have the option of, 
of identifying and tuning in. But I, I'm, whenever you do things in, in church and you do things in a Christian context, sometimes there can be a subtle dynamic that creeps in. No one ever would talk about this in polite company, but a dynamic creeps in where it's kind of like, well, if you were really listening to the Spirit, you'd get what I was doing here. Um, I don't feel that way at all about it. Um, I, I, I'm not writing scripture here. I write songs. And so if you listen to a dozen of my songs and go, you know, he seems like a nice enough guy, but no, not really. Not my cup of song. That's okay. You know, it doesn't say anything about your faith or your, your, your acumen to apprehend artistic works or anything like that. I, I don't get, I don't have to put any of that on you. I just have to go out there and sing. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I tell people that my job description is a very narrow, narrow job description. I write and sing Bob Bennett songs. There's not much call for it, but I am the official go-to guy to do that. And so I just go out and play these songs and hope that, that somewhere they will resonate with people. And, and whether it gives them something to think about after they leave the building or whether I've just kept them out of trouble for an hour and a half. It's all honorable work. It's all part of the honor that I get to play. Because songs, songs don't exist in an artistic vacuum. They're not on a glass display case so they can't be touched. Songs only mean something when you interact with them. When you bring everything that you are, everything you think, everything you fear, everything you don't know, you sit down, you listen to all this stuff. That's, that's the best day at the office that I could ever ask for is that people give, give the time to these songs to listen to them. And they, they'll let me know whether they mean anything, whether they're important, whether they're worthwhile. Um, so uh, let me maybe pick another song or two here to, to inflict on you. Um, oh, <laughs> got to play a Jimmy Webb song for you. Jimmy Webb, uh, if you're old enough to remember, wrote uh, um, Wichita Lineman, Galveston, a lot of the Glenn Campbell hits and stuff, but he's, he's just a consummate songwriter. Uh, Jimmy Webb became successful very, very early in his career, so he got a chance to hang around with all the old school songwriters that were still alive in the 60s. You know, Sammy Kahn and, and uh, all these guys you know, the, the, the folks that your grandparents listen to who are, if you can get past the idea that this may not be your kind of music, they're, they're total geniuses, all these songs from the 40s and 50s and stuff. They're literate, they're well-constructed, they're, they're absolutely worth going back and listening to. But uh, uh, Jimmy Webb wrote this song called If These Walls Could Speak. Amy Grant had the good sense to do a cover version of this song like back in the 90s. Unbelievable that she did it and did a fine job. So... Partners in need, raise a hand. 
So, um, I'm going to play one more song for you, and um, a final Pierce song. Um, anyway, I hope this has been encouraging in some way. And um, and if you have any have any questions or comments or anything like that, feel free to jump right in before we before I let you go. But um, 
I was going to maybe play a song or two on my own, but I, they're going to ask me to. I mean, I can do that if you want to hear a little something, but um, we've got a little little bit of time before we need to break up. But um, this is a song that Pierce wrote called Something for the Pain. And one of the things that I that music does for me, when I, li when I listen to these songs, I just feel less alone. I just, I feel like I'm not the only one. And even though the evidence is all around us that we're not the only one, it sometimes it takes some convincing in our hearts. Um, it's we live in a culture now where it's completely possible to be isolated and be surrounded, absolutely surrounded. We have devices that are, and I'm just tied to my. Yeah, I don't even want to know what my weekly screen time is. I'm on Twitter way too much, or X, or whatever they're calling it. But I mean, we have our we have these devices that make us more interconnected than we could ever be. And yet, I think we're as, as lonesome and as isolated from one another as we could possibly be. That's why I love the church so much, because as imperfect as the church is, and it is, we're in there pitching together. We're in the same room with one another. We're in proximity to one another. And the same distance that allows for an arm around your shoulder and a prayer is also the same distance where you get the occasional sucker punch in Jesus' name. It's, this is not for the squeamish. It's a full contact sport. But to be with each other and to encourage one another, and I, I think that, that there are times when I have been in front of an audience and I felt as though... I don't want to overplay this because I don't want to make it sound like it's like the Bob Bennett show all the time. But, but I've had the sense that I had the privilege of having songs that were a balm, that were a little bit of a healing, a little bit of a little bit of some, a little bit of relief, a little bit of breathing room for people to have. Um, there's just so much pressure and so much to do. And, and, um, so I, I encourage you to, to write the songs that are going to make others feel less alone, less isolated. Um, you can, if, if you have the temperament to do so, um, you can be vulnerable with some of your own details and write those into the songs, knowing that, you know, you're, you're going to run into other people who will also share some of the, the things that you know very, very well. So, um, all right, so this is called uh, Something for the Pain. Again, I want to write, I want to write like this when I grow up. This time you say you cured, you think. But you're not sure what of Life is a mystery we don't have time to solve Transcendental meditation Accidental medication A lot of things could sure screw up your brain Let me give you something for the you can go to church on Sunday 
You can put on your best clothes The guide always sees you naked With all your sins exposed Yeah, down here with the savages In a world of freed Barabbases Where nuns carry guns to protect themselves from That's the listening party. <laughs> Thank you guys very much for coming.